Hello, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. And with all my heart, I hope you hear something that edifies, encourages, equip, enlightens, and then engages you in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and before you listen, I want to take a quick moment and explain to you this month's truth tool. The book is called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. You know, it's paramount as followers of Christ that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. So questions like heaven and hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But sometimes we don't fully understand what it is we believe about Christianity. So the book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith is just that. It's concise And it's a wonderful guide to explain to you the cornerstones of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount because In the Market with Janet Parshall is a listener-supported broadcast. We stay on the air because you pray and give. So if you'd like this month's Truth Rule, just call 877-JANET-58. Ask for a copy of I Believe. That's 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online to InTheMarketWithJanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. If a gift of any amount, we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. While you're on that website, you might want to take a moment, scroll down just a little bit farther, and there's a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are people who give at a level of their own choosing, and they give every month. They get the truth tool if they ask for it every single month, and they'll also get a newsletter, only people that do, that includes an audio portion that only goes to my partial partners. So if you want to be a partial partner or you're just interested in giving one time to get a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58 is the route to go, 877-JANET-58, or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. I Believe, a great book for you to put in your backpack as you continue your Pilgrim's Progress. Now, Please enjoy the podcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely next... rare safety move by a nation. 17 years the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. A very happy Thursday to you. I want to take just a couple of moments at the beginning of this hour, and we've got much to discuss in a world that just gets crazier by the day, does it not? Well, that's why it's important for you and me to know what we believe and why we believe it, particularly as we're starting a new year. I'm hoping you've made some recommitments to be totally immersed in the Word of God, to really do some self-examination, to pursue holiness, to recognize when God is doing either corrective or constructive discipline in your life, that you are willing to allow that great potter himself to conform and transform each and every one of us in the fashion that he sees fit, which means eventually being molded into the image of Jesus Christ himself. Not easy work, by the way, not work for cowards, essential work, because that's why we were born. We are here, by the way, to know Christ, to know him intimately through his son, Jesus Christ, and to be conformed to his image. And given our wicked, sinful ways. That's not easy stuff by any stretch of the imagination. A whole lot of intentionality of the will that says, I will pursue this. So it's not easy. But it doesn't help if you don't know what we believe, the basic tenets of the Christian faith. So I've chosen a wonderful book, concise to the point direct. It's called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. And it's written by Tom Rayner, whom we've talked to several times before, who is the founder and CEO of Church Answers. 
And what he does is he takes a look at some of the basic tenets of the faith and the questions we have about them and puts them together in a very friendly, user-friendly, useful book. So it talks about our belief in the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, prayer, angels, demons, Satans. You get the idea. This is all, again, about the essentials of the faith. How can you contend, as it tells us in the book of Jude, for the faith if we don't know first and foremost what it is we believe and why we believe it? So I thought as we start a new year, going back to the basics, making sure that the foundation is firm, no cracks, no water damage, no unsettling. We know exactly what we believe, that the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself, and we build our foundation on the firm faith so that our house of faith can stand. I believe is what it's called. And it's yours for a gift of any amount. You've heard me say this over and over again. We are listener-supported radio. And when you give a gift of any amount, you keep this program going. And I want to thank those of you who do pray for this program and do do also give for this program. It is so important. And we're going into, I think, what is going to be a very interesting year. And should the Lord give me permission to continue, I want you to know that I certainly look forward to being able to apply the whole truth of the the whole gospel to the whole world around us. And as things get uh, even more interesting, and I think they will, why? Well, because that book that we're supposed to be immersed in got to tell you that we're one day closer to his return than we were yesterday. So all those things that we're going to observe before his return, more and more, they're going to become clearer and clearer in our line of vision. So you and I want to be prepared and ready to contend for the faith. So call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. Give a gift of any amount, and I'm going to send you a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online in the market with janetpartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover, I Believe. Can't miss it. Click it on, make your donation, and we'll send you a copy of that resource. Now, if you're a partial partner... And those are people who give every single month. They choose a level of giving on their own. You're always going to get the truth tool. But in addition to that, you get a newsletter that goes out every Thursday, and that's today. So that is important for you to know that Thursdays are big days around here. And uh, only my partial partners get the newsletter, which includes, among other things, an audio piece that only my partial partners get. So you can become a partial partner or you can get I Believe by going to the website in the market with JanetPartial.org or calling 877-JANET-58, 877-JANET-58. All right, we're going to go back to starting with what's going on in Israel. As Craig and I shared yesterday when we were doing our retrospective of the year 2023, Boy, if you're going through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, your sight line is always on that small little state about the size of New Jersey where history is happening all the time. We are in day 89 now of a war that started by the terrorist organization Hamas against the Jewish state October 7th, and activity continues. Have a listen. Iran blamed Israel and the U.S. for two explosions that killed more than 100 people at a ceremony in Iran to commemorate Revolutionary Guard Corps Quds commander Qassam Soleimani. Soleimani was killed four years ago in a U.S. drone strike. In front of a crowd shouting death to Israel and death to America, Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi called the blasts a barbaric act against innocent people. I warned the Zionist regime Without doubt for this crime and the other crimes you commit, you will pay a price that will make you regret badly. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller says it's too early to know what was behind the twin blasts in the city of Karaman. The United States was not involved in any way. 
and any suggestion to the contrary is ridiculous. And number two, we have no reason to believe that Israel was involved in this explosion. The explosions came one day after a top Hamas leader, Deputy Commander Saleh Aruri, was killed in an explosion in a Hezbollah-controlled neighborhood of Beirut. With respect to the development yesterday, I will say that uh, Al Aruri was a brutal terrorist who was centrally responsible for the attacks of October 7th, as well as um, other attacks against innocent civilians leading back to well before October 7th. Hamas blamed Israel for Aruri's death, and Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah called it a very dangerous development and promised punishment for it. Hezbollah continues to launch attacks against Israel's northern border, and Israel is responding, striking Hezbollah strongholds inside Lebanon. The White House says it's trying to keep the war between Israel and Hamas from spreading. Of the force posture changes that the president has ordered in the region has been designed to prevent an escalation or widening or deepening of this conflict. Um, as we've said before, we don't want to see it widen beyond Israel and Hamas. And again, we're going to keep working with partners in the region to prevent that from happening. On a visit to the northern border after Hezbollah's ongoing attacks, the Israel Defense Forces chief of staff says Israel is prepared to deal with the Iranian-backed terrorist organization. Based on my... And now we're going to take a break and come back and continue to look at what's going on in terms of global news. We're going to focus on the communist regime and some nefarious business that they're up to yet again. This is In the Market with Janet Parshall. I thank you so much for spending the hour with us. And this hour is designed, fair warning, to get you to think critically and biblically. We'll take a break and come right back and just learn what that sounds like right after this. The truths of the Christian faith are powerfully clear and wonderfully deep, but sometimes we don't fully understand what we believe. That's why I've chosen I Believe, a concise guide to the essentials of the Christian faith as this month's truth tool. Know the foundations of faith and reinvigorate your walk with Jesus. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. If you were with us yesterday when Craig and I did our retrospective on the year 2023, did you notice how many times conversations about communist China raised its head? And when you realize we were doing a 12-month review, that tells us that China is a story that is crucially important. And I would venture to say, while I'm not a prophet or a daughter of a prophet, I will tell you that I think China will garner headlines and should garner headlines many times to 2024. Part of our understanding why this conversation is so crucial has to be given to Bill Gertz, the national security correspondent for The Washington Times and the best-selling author of multiple books, by the way. He has been this clear, consistent, concise voice on why communist China needs to be viewed for the impending danger that it is, why when they make the declaration for a desire for global supremacy, they're not playing games, they're not saber-rattling. It's not the same as Kim Jong-un in North Korea. These are people who are bound and determined to take over the globe. In fact, that's why I very often reference, and there's not a book that Bill's written that I wouldn't recommend, but why it's particularly important that you start by reading Deceiving the Sky, Inside Communist China's Drive for Global Supremacy. That, in powerful, powerful eloquence, 
lays out the case for why they have no greater desire than global dominance. So, Bill, first of all, Happy New Year to you. I hope 2024 has started out well, and it's a joy for us to be able to start the new year by having a conversation with you. And just today, one of your pieces in The Washington Times leads with the headline, China's space warfare includes cyber attacks, jamming, and on-orbit grappling, Intel survey says. There's a ton of information there. Break that down for us if you'd be so kind. Sure. And again, Happy New Year, Janet. Uh, Thank you. Uh, yeah, this was a report that was produced, an unclassified report that was produced by an intelligence analyst called Kristen Burke. And it's a 79-page report produced by the China Aerospace Studies Institute. That's an Air Force think tank down in uh, Alabama. And it, it is chock full of new information about the Chinese space warfare program. Their most lethal weapons are three types of ground-based mobile missiles that can shoot down satellites in space. Uh, Yet the report concludes that these missiles are primarily for deterrence. Uh, The Chinese having learned back in 2007, when you blow up a satellite, you create dangerous debris, 10,000 pieces, which are still floating around and can damage anything in those orbits. So that's one aspect. The other is that they've already got electronic jamming equipment and also directed energy uh, gear. These are lasers that can dazzle satellites and disrupt their communications. And it also has a very robust uh, cyber warfare program. And the goal of these offensive cyber warfare operations will be to uh, plant uh, malicious software and viruses in uh, information technology used to control satellites and get information from satellites. So it was an impressive uh, take on the spa- China space warfare threat. And let me linger here because uh, sometimes I think we average Americans fail to connect the dots. And for a lot of people, just like when Y2K came, we didn't realize how many things we owned were actually run by computers. The same thing can be said, I think, about satellites. They're up there both for governments and they're up there for private entities as well. So if China decides that these are, in fact, not used for deterrence, but in fact, they're going to be used uh, as cyber attacks and uh, electronic jamming, what does that mean in terms of American infrastructure? Let me just start with the United States. Would that have an impact on the infrastructure, on telecommunications, on our economics? It isn't, seems to me, if their goal is hegemony, I want to expand this and its application beyond the military. It would be cripple the United States at any cost. So talk to me about hitting a satellite and really the kind of proposed damage that could do. Yeah, it's uh, there's two aspects to it. Uh, again, there's one is the both of which are strategic in their nature. In other words, the Chinese have have gamed out how vulnerable the U.S. is to the disruption of its satellite communications. Uh, take, for instance, the highest orbit, which is the geosynchronous orbit. There's which is twenty two thousand three hundred miles above Earth. There are currently about more than six thousand satellites. Uh, circulating there. And of course, the Pentagon operates its most sensitive uh, intelligence and communication satellites, including GPS, uh, global positioning system, defense support, which monitor missile launches, and also some critical command and control systems. So in other words, the Chinese, if they wanted to, they could temporarily disrupt or completely disrupt and destroy these satellites with the systems that they currently have. And now the second, and that would be in a a full-scale war, which 
China wants to avoid, and, and the U.S. certainly would also as well, but with tensions high over Taiwan, that, it's very uncertain. Mm-hmm. Second aspect is that it can be used for coercion. When they can demonstrate these capabilities, like I say, even a reversible jamming of satellite links or moving one of their robot satellites close to one of our satellites, and this report indicates that they've already done that. They've moved one of these robotic satellites within close range of a U.S. satellite, which is basically practice for uh, grabbing that satellite with a robotic arm and crushing it or throwing it out into uh, deeper space. Um, So they could use this for coercion uh, by stating that, hey, we're going to take over Taiwan now, and if you try anything, you can forget about all your communications and everything else that's uh, relying on space. Wow. So this is absolutely atypical warfare, but unbelievably important for us to understand. So it raises a question, and I think I'm asking this again on on behalf of the average American. If we have this stunning report, if we understand what some of their goals and desires are in terms of these missiles and its relationship to satellites, what are we doing to play defense on this? Well, the short answer is not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, we ha- the military's created a new space force, but from my uh, understanding of it right now, so far, they're they're going in the wrong direction. First of all, they've only in- this is supposed to be a new war fighting domain in space, and yet the space force has declared it only has a single weapon to use, and that's one electronic jammer. Uh, whereas the Chinese have three types of anti-satellite missiles, uh, multiple units devoted to uh, conducting uh, jamming and directed energy attacks and uh, satellites. So we're not doing enough, and I can elaborate on the other side. Thank you for that, Bill. Thanks for being the consummate professional. I appreciate your recognition of the break. Bill Gertz is with us from The Washington Times, always teaching us why it's important to keep our eye on China. Back after this. We're visiting with Bill Gertz, who is an award-winning columnist for The Washington Times and a best-selling author. And as per usual, we've started out talking about China in a piece that just came out today in The Washington Times by Bill that talks about the fact that China, and according to a new report, an almost 80-page report, says that they are developing warfare that would go after satellites and would cause electronic jamming to disrupt and disable our U.S. satellites as well. So, Bill, I asked you a question I think would be on the minds of most of the people listening right now, which is if we have this information and we know what China is doing, what are we doing to prepare? Preparedness, right? Military preparedness, hugely important. And your answer succinctly, concisely was not enough. And you gave us a couple of numbers before the break where clearly they've outnumbered us in terms of their equipment needed to do this. And we're not there yet. So please continue. You had more you wanted to share. Sure. Yeah. The Space Force uh, officials have said that they need uh, what they what is called counter space weapons. That's what this intelligence report that I wrote about was about PLA counter space weapons. And so we've heard from uh, senior officials of the Space Force, the general in charge, who said, yeah, we're going to have uh, counter force weapons. But not a single new weapon has been announced, and they've already been in existence for s- several years. Uh, some uh, supporters of the Space Force attribute that to just uh, over excessive secrecy. But you will never be able to deter China if we just tell them what we have a single jammer. Mm-hmm. Um, so supposedly they're developing counter space weapons. What, what that looks like, nobody has any idea. However, 
we have a lot of weapons, and we demonstrated back in 2007 that we could modify uh, a anti-missile interceptor, and we used it to shoot down a falling National Security Agency, or I think it was National Reconnaissance Office, satellite. In other words, we have some capabilities, but again, it's not dedicated. They're not training with these weapons. They're not uh, preparing to use them. They're not building them, as far as we can tell. Now, again, they may be doing this in secret, but it's certainly, uh, and with, again, tensions high between the U.S. and China over Taiwan, this is something that the U.S. military needs to do. Mm-hmm. Another aspect of this is that uh, they're not emphasizing weapons. They're emphasizing what they call uh, space awareness and resilience. Space awareness is a code for increased intelligence to be able to monitor what the Chinese are doing and locating and targeting. Uh, and resilience is the ability to replace satellites quickly with small, uh, less expensive satellites. And they're hoping that that's going to be able to keep us in the business of using space for both military and civilian needs. So my question then becomes, and every year you and I know how Washington works, we have this heated argument about the NDAA, the reauthorization for the military. Is this a question of money, and is Congress holding the purse strings too tightly, or is it a matter of the will, because we have this very unbalanced relationship with the communist regime, that we're not choosing to develop more weaponry? Uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a fault of the Biden administration political policy of seeking to develop what they call norms of behavior in space. Uh, this is an arms control approach, which is going to be a total failure because both Russia and China have made clear they're building space weapons, they're training to use those space weapons, and the U.S. is trying to talk arms control and can't we just be nice to each other and not deploy weapons and keep space clear of debris? And it's it's going to be a total failure because that's never going to work. Uh, it, it's kind of the antithesis of the Reagan administration policy of peace through strength. It's mm-hmm. kind of uh, peace through weakness. And it's really dangerous, in my view. Weakness provokes. Uh, you know, we can see that in the uh, the response to these Houthi rebel attacks in uh, in the Persian Gulf, where yes. uh, the U.S. keeps saying they're not going to they're only taking defensive action. What? Why aren't they taking offensive action to uh, take out some of these missiles? That, that's the kind of approach that the entire uh, Biden administration has. It's, it's uh, weakness and appeasement, which is really dangerous in my view. I, I hardly concur with you. And you brought up Taiwan, so let me go there, because China is uh, unambiguous in its declaration that they will oppose us should we do anything to come to the aid and defense of Taiwan. Uh, that's not a possibility. It's a very high probability, given the reality of China's declaration over and over and over again that they will subsume Taiwan back as part of the communist regime. Uh, wh- what is the chatter on Capitol Hill about what position we might take regarding Taiwan? This idea of anything to avoid provocation is not going to work. 
everybody on planet Earth doesn't play nice. You know, we had this unbelievable threat from Kim Jong-un on New Year's Day talking about he would obliterate the United States, annihilate the United States. And so regimes like Iran, North Korea, communist China, they're not going to give up their nuclear weapons anytime soon. So, uh, again, it's it's a philosophical question that ends up showing up in hard metal and funds from Congress. So talk to me about the assessment on the Hill as of today, and I'm sure it changes like the weather, on our position should China move against Taiwan. Yes, uh, it's very important uh, that Congress play its leading oversight role. Now, uh, I wrote a piece recently which was really significant, and it was that uh, the, the Pentagon and the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command uh, are refusing to set up a joint task force in the Indo-Pacific. Now, we have all, all the four services, five counting the Space Force, with components and units in the area, but uh, a joint task force is needed. Not only is it needed, Congress mandated last year in mm. the National Defense Authorization Act that they create this new uh, component command headquarters. And the Pentagon is not doing it. They look at it as congressional meddling and contrary to their policy, which says a conflict with China is neither inevitable or imminent. And Congress mm. is saying, you got to get ready. You need this joint task force to be ready. We'll be right back. Anyone can read the news. Every day on In the Market, we're committed to telling the news as seen through the lens of Scripture. As Christians, we must be informed about what's going on in the world and respond appropriately. When you become a partial partner, you ensure that we continue here on your station, equipping the church to discuss current events using the Bible as our solid foundation. Why not become a partial partner today? Call 877-JANET-58 or go online to In the Market with JanetPartial.org. It's always a privilege to spend time with Bill Gertz, national security correspondent for The Washington Times, best-selling author. By the way, he's written multiple books. If you'll go to my website, you'll be able to get a sense of the books that he's written. I've got a link, by the way, to GertzFile.com, G-E-R-T-Z-F-I-L-E.com. You can read his pieces there. And uh, also, he's got a fabulous podcast as well. Bill, I want to go back to what we were talking about before the break, because it's hugely important. And it goes to an article that you wrote that showed up around Christmas time with a headline that said, Emerging Defense Bill Mandates Pentagon Study on War with China in 2023. Uh, this was disconcerting and extremely important because the article, as you write, is a congressional directive to the Pentagon to say, we want you to study what would happen in the potential of a war with China around 2030. And then there's a directive in here that says to study the economic impact of the People's Liberation Army, that's the PLA you referred to before, invasion of Taiwan, an action President Biden has said would set in motion a U.S. military response. And you note that there is a deadline of December 1st of this year. Now, this is an interesting move on Congress's behalf to give this direction to Pentagon, but it underscores your thesis in your piece, which is Congress wouldn't be sending this directive to the Pentagon if there were not rising concerns about the aggression of China if there was any move against Taiwan. That's right, Janet. Um, this is, again, another reflection that uh, this is a bipartisan issue. Both Republicans mm-hmm. and Democrats could agree that the Pentagon isn't doing enough to prepare for this coming conflict with China if it, if it happens. And, um, and again, the, the Pentagon's policy has been to play down 
this idea that, that there's going to be a conflict with China. And uh, Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary, has said, as I mentioned earlier several times, that conflict with China is neither imminent nor inevitable. Um, <laughs> that, that's, again, it's, it's what they call threat deflation. They're trying to play down the threat because they've got this diplomatic initiative going where they're trying to schmooze the Chinese into uh, being nice and, and playing nice in the international arena and halting their massive uh, theft of U.S. intellectual property and so on. And um, again, it's it's projecting weakness. Um, compare those that sentiment with uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader who just in his New Year's Eve message came out and said China will uh, reunify it. It never been unified with Taiwan. Taiwan was it was never really a part of China, but they're calling for the reunification, all of their military activities. Uh, you know, I've seen uh, analysts I know who put together really alarming um, uh, scenarios and lists of preparations that China is making for war with the U.S. Things like uh, hoarding uh, oil and gas in large reserves, whereas. The Biden administration has just basically depleted our uh, strategic petroleum reserve to try to get gas prices to come down. Uh, they've done other steps that have tried to prepare them for being sanctioned by the United States. Again, that's one of the main weapons the U.S. has is the ability to target financial transactions of Chinese companies and Chinese officials. Um, so they're working to prepare themselves for a major conflict with the United States. And and the Pentagon, on the other hand, uh, is claiming, uh, you know, that they had a decisive year in making preparations uh, for uh, deterring China, but they really haven't done large scale efforts. Now, they have something called the Pacific Security Initiative, again, which was pushed on the Pentagon by Congress. And uh, this year, they've got $9 billion, hopefully, that they will spend wisely in moving forces to Asia, getting forces ready. Uh, we still, you know, I mean, it's they, they keep saying that they're bolstering forces in the Pacific for the last two decades, but yet mm -hmm. we still only have a single aircraft carrier strike group based in the area. We, we need to be sending submarines and a new carrier strike group to, say, Guam or another place where it can be home ported to be uh, in that region. And so it's clear they're not doing enough to deter China. At the same time, China is really beating the war drums uh, over Taiwan. And, you know, another conflict could break out over the Philippines, where they're bullying uh, Philippines ships as they're trying to resupply a grounded military ship in one of the reefs there in the Spratleys and that the Chinese are claiming. And that, that could set off a conflict already. The Chinese ships have bumped some of the Filipino ships, and they have a defense agreement with the Pentagon. and And the U.S. has announced recently, as uh, the last month, that any uh, attack by China on a Philippines military vessel or even a civilian vessel could trigger uh, the defense agreement, where which would involve the U.S. in a, in a confrontation with the Chinese military. Wow. Wow. This is an unbelievably precarious situation. So I was thinking when you were talking, does China subscribe to the same kind of ideas of expansionism as, say, Russia does? That takes me to what's going on in Ukraine. So China wants to subsume Taiwan. They've already taken Hong Kong. You just mentioned the Philippines. Or is their way of getting to global domination 
not by expansionism, but by their programs that they've got in Saudi Arabia, the programs that they have in Africa, for example? Yes. Um, the Chinese are on the march globally. Uh, again, this was reflected in a recent speech by Xi Jinping, and I wrote about this in my Inside the Ring column. He announced on December 26th that China's communist ideology, they call it Marxism-Leninism with Chinese characteristics, <laughs> is going to supplant the capitalist free market democratic system. And uh, so they, they've made clear that they're doing that, and they're working very diligently to do that through uh, billion-dollar-funded influence operations, through things like the Belt and Road Initiative, which is couched as a uh, infrastructure development plan in the developing world, which really is a, a stalking horse for spreading Chinese communism globally. Uh, they're also uh, infiltrating the government's of African nations and South American nations. They're literally buying up countries through their money, using money to bribe officials, to pay officials, to do their bidding. So my view of their strategy is that they want to they wanna first work on the developing world and then use that to advance their ideology and their influence in the secondary developing world. And then last, they'll target the United States. The United States is the main target because there can be no uh, global domination of, uh, with Chinese communism until the United States is defeated. And so they're working through information means and they're going to target the upcoming presidential election mm. to further weaken the United States. And of course, uh, shipments of fentanyl, fentanyl, fentanyl are also continuing. Now they they agreed in November that they were going to curb fentanyl. Uh, there's been no, so far, I haven't seen anything that shows that they're reducing their precursor chemical supplies to Mexican drug cartels. Wow, unbelievable. I want to ask a very simple question, but I'm fascinated by the human condition. So you have taught us over the years, Bill, that their stated goal, and by the way, there's a standard in the law that applies here. It's called a preponderance of evidence. It, you, your head has to be in the sand not to see what China is doing to steadfastly move toward exactly what their declared goal is, which is global domination. So I'm, I'm looking at the human condition saying, so why would China want global domination? Do they want more communists? Is it strictly an economic uh, response that they, if they had domination over the globe, they'd have every bit of revenue that was possible? Is it uh, strictly ideology? I mean, there's a management, there's a whole bunch of management issues out there that would make me want, not want to be globally dominating other countries, but that's a sidebar. So why do the Chinese want global domination? Is it ideologically driven? Is it economically driven? Why would a regime, a godless regime, you write and talk about this in your podcast, why would this godless regime want to have global domination? I, I, that part of the human nature I can't figure out. Um, it is based, rooted deeply in Marxism-Leninism. And this is a concept that Xi Jinping has resurrected. You know, here's a, a very brief history of Chinese communist history. Um, uh, the communists came to power in 1949. Mao declared that China had stood up. Um, he had adopted this Marxism-Leninism concept, which was not a Chinese ideology. It's, a, it's basically a European ideology. Uh, Marx had the theory. Lenin put it into practice. They adopted it to the Chinese model. 
and they've adjusted it a bit so that instead of the workers being uh, the workers being the vanguard of the proletariat, it's basically the peasants uh, under guided by a, a ruthless Leninist revolutionary party led by Mao. Uh, Mao was a disaster. His death toll was at least 60 million people hmm. through uh, modernization campaigns. They uh, retrenched from communism temporarily in the 80s under Deng Xiaoping. And that's when they said, uh, it doesn't matter whether the cat is black or white as long as it catches mice. So they adopted a more pragmatic approach, but they never abandoned the ideology. All Chinese leaders uh, since Mao and through Xi Jinping view the United States through the lens of Marxism. And that, that ideology says that history is moving inexorably uh, towards the ideal workers' paradise, and the impediment to that is capitalism. Hmm. And uh, as I've tried to show in my uh, Victory Over Communism podcast, that's totally wrong. It's We have a God-centered uh, history, and God is moving towards ultimately restoring uh, humans back to their original ideal. That's exactly right. Wow. This is why this conversation, Bill, is so important and how we so appreciate it when you come and visit us and, quite frankly, teach us as well. More with Bill Gertz right after this. Time seems to fly every time Bill Gertz comes to visit with us. There's so much to discuss. In truth, I have so many more stories and questions than time allows. But let me suffice it to say again that Bill is an award-winning columnist for The Washington Times and a best-selling author as well. Bill, over the holidays, again, you wrote a piece that I had to blink. I thought I was reading something out of the script for The Manchurian Candidate. But you write that in addition to the jamming, the electronic jamming and the uh, potential attacks against U.S. satellites— Chinese warfare now might include something more. In fact, you talk about the fact that according to a new report entitled Warfare in the Cognitive Age, Neurostrike and the PLA's Advanced Psychological Weapons and Tactics, that apparently we're learning now that there are some new kinds of weapons they may use and some of it might involve sleep. Talk to me about this. Yeah, this is a, a new area, and China, as I've reported, is leading the world in this realm of warfare. You know, the, the military likes to talk about their domains. There's air, space, uh, air, land, sea, space, and, and now they're talking about the cognitive domain. That is the brain influence. So it's two elements. It's literally biological brain interaction with computers as well as influence and uh, ways to impact uh, leaders' thinking and cognitive abilities. And uh, they have a number of weapons. Uh, a lot of people suspect that the so-called Havana syndrome, which yes. attacked our uh, diplomatic and intelligence personnel around the world, and which is continuing, but which the intelligence community has dismissed as a hostile weapon, uh, this is actually something that the Chinese are working on very di diligently. And this report that I got a hold of, it's from something called the China Biothreats Initiative. And it's a group of open source intelligence analysts who are specialists in the, both the military and the intelligence field. And they've done some tremendous work looking at this aspect. And, yeah, they're talking about developing 
weapons that can make troops fall asleep. They're weapons that can be used to influence uh, leaders' thinking, basically to confuse them, to cause them to not be able to focus on providing command and control for military forces. So it's a it's a very high tech area, and it's also a very alarming area. And the Chinese are leading the way. I know that the Pentagon is looking at this, but again, uh, there a lot of times they they say that the Pentagon is caught uh, fighting the last war, and mm-hmm. they're still adjusting from counterterrorism to China, and and not doing a real good job preparing for China. But this is one area where they really have to focus. Wow. Uh, what would be the delivery system for something like this? Um, there are electronic means uh, for this. They have broadcast kind of systems. Uh, the Chinese military has actually, and I've reported on this in the past, they actually have these uh, electronic sonic systems that can transmit uh, information and things that affect the brain in certain ways. Uh, again, which is something that could be uh causing this Havana syndrome in our diplomats and intelligence personnel. But, um, yeah, and they they also have um, uh, biological things, which are weapons that could be used to influence the biology of of someone's brain. Uh, So it's, again, uh, a very high-tech area, something that uh, definitely needs to be carefully monitored. Absolutely. Speaking of high tech, what, if anything, do we know at this point about communist China's plans to use AI? Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, there is a, uh, an artificial intelligence race underway between uh, the free world and the communist world led by China. And I've reported on this in the past. Uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, issued a directive to all of the more than 100 uh, high tech companies in China Uh, developing artificial intelligence for many aspects. Uh, But that uh, the the directive states that all of the artificial intelligence capabilities must conform to Marxist Leninist ideology. So in other words, they're working on an AI system that will be uh, promoting and using communism and uh, the U.S., obviously, that would be atheism, that would be uh, socialism, uh, it would be their, uh, it, would, it would carry with it their, their human rights abuses, which they've denied. And the West needs to really understand that we, we need to counter that with basically a values-based artificial intelligence or a God-centered artificial intelligence. It's something that's urgently needed because we're, all, we're already seeing some politicization, leftward politicization of our artificial intelligence systems. Well, and the president's had two summits on this already, and he's talking about equity, applying it to AI. So right out of the gate, we've got some problems. They had that summit in London. Prince Charles, among others, spoke, but Elon Musk raised the issue that perhaps we need third-party referees to make sure that the use of this technology doesn't get out of hand. That's a conversation you and I will definitely have in the days ahead. But I did want to ask you, because of your astute observations of the world around us, when Kim Jong-un gave military orders to, quote, thoroughly annihilate the United States if provoked, um, this is the hermit kingdom. I get it. Is this saber rattling or should we pay attention when he talks like this? Absolutely. Uh, He came to power just over 10 years ago uh, in 2012. And since that time, He's revived 
the ideology of communism, Marxism-Leninism, with Chinese characteristics for what he calls the new era, the new era being his dictatorship. And he's tasked the military to be ready to use that force as early as 2027 in, in a, uh, an effort, a military assault to take Taiwan. So uh, these are perilous times. Um, I've got to say between now and November is when I think we have a very dangerous period in, in our history where we have two wars in, in, in Europe and in, in Israel and a third potential war that would be devastating uh, if uh, China attacks Taiwan. Yeah. It's a somber but truthful note to end on, Bill. I thank you so much for that. And if I can just add my two cents editorially, it's why we're given the directive in Scripture to pray for those who are in authority, these people who make very important decisions about our protection, our security. By the way, they need wisdom. And the Bible says we pray for those in authority for exactly that. Bill, thank you always for your stellar, consistent reporting your clarity of the situation and what's going on in the world around us. And I think this was a great way to help begin 2024. And I look forward to many more conversations. I'm going to direct my friends again to my website, gertzfile.com. You can read Bill's columns on a regular basis. His books are absolutely outstanding. I keep putting up Deceiving the Sky, but remember there are many other books that Bill has also authored. But Deceiving the Sky is a good primer in understanding China's desire for global domination. Thank you so much, friends. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Partial.